0: He sees the depth of your heart, and yet he loves you the same. Amen? Well, this morning we're going to uh, return to our series on the Sermon on the Mount. And yes, the last sermon you heard on this was about six weeks ago. So I know you have forgotten everything I said. So don't worry. I'm going to jog your memories. We began this series by first looking at the blessings of the kingdom. That's Matthew 5, verses 1 through 11. Second, we talked about being distinguished from the world in order to influence the world for good. That's Matthew 5, verses 11 through 16. Third, we talked about Jesus' relationship to the law and the believer's relationship to the law. That's Matthew 5, verses 17 through 20. And in those sermons, We saw Jesus lay out for us what a kingdom lifestyle looks like for us in this lifetime. Principles and guidelines. But when we got to the fourth sermon, we saw Jesus do something quite different. He was not only showing us what a kingdom lifestyle looks like through this Sermon on the Mount, but he also uses this sermon to undo us. What do you mean by that, Alex? I mean, he uses the Sermon on the Mount to present every person as mutually broken, whose only acceptable response to the Sermon on the Mount is one of faith and repentance. Faith and repentance. Which is opposite to the response of the Pharisees and Scribes, who were so self-righteous and blinded by the true need of Christ. Today, we're going to continue to see Jesus presents us as mutually broken, As he continues to do three things, he's going to continue to correct the misunderstanding, the misinterpretation, and the misapplication of God's law in his religious environment. So if you have your Bibles, please open them to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to look at verses 33 through 37. Again. You have heard it said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but you shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair black or white. Let what you say simply be yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil this is god's word let us pray father god as we come before your truth come before your word we pray that your spirit would take what is preached and apply it to our hearts and as i always say lord i pray that you would move me to the side that you would move my pride to the side and that your spirit would just simply take over He has to be the one to apply the truth of Scripture to our hearts. The preacher cannot. He is just a man. So, Spirit, we call upon you to do what you do best. Share with God's people. Christ in my prayer. Amen. Keep in mind here, as we continue to work through this section of the Sermon on the Mount, this is not Jesus correcting the Old Testament. You can read the, these verses and think that's what he's doing, but he's not. He's correcting the misunderstanding, the misinterpretation, the misapplication of the Old Testament. And in these verses, Jesus brings corrections to taking oaths. He begins with this reoccurring phrase, you have heard that it was said. And he uses this phrase to introduce something that's going to need to be corrected. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but you shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. In other words, do not swear. Do not swear. And fail to keep your oath. But fulfill your oaths before the Lord. And what is an oath? It's a promise to do something. And in that promise, you are invoking a divine witness that you're going to do something in the future. And in the Old Testament, that there are examples of individuals who, who take oaths and makes oaths to God. And as they take those oaths, Moses also gives warnings to them. In Leviticus 19.12, it says, You shall not swear by my name falsely, and so profane the name of the Lord your God. I am the Lord. Even the Third Commandment says, You shall not take the name of the Lord in vain. Numbers 32 says, If a man vows a vow to the Lord, or swears an oath to bind himself by a pledge, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. All these passages in the Old Testament that deals with oaths had a particular intent in mind. And that intent was to show all oaths had a binding character to them. Binding. If you said you're gonna do it, then you are bound to do it. And if you fail to do it, you are guilty of sin. Don't swear falsely, but something has happened here when it comes to oaths in Jesus' environment. Something has happened. A misunderstanding has happened. A misinterpretation has happened. A misapplication has happened, and Jesus corrects it. This week I came across a video on youtube that's gotten a lot of hits in the religious environment called why i hate jesus i'm sorry why i hate religion but love jesus i don't know if you've seen that video if you are into youtube and facebook i'm sure you have what do you think about that title why i hate religion but love jesus do you agree with it? Is it true I watch the video. I kind of see what the guy is trying to say, speaking out against self-righteousness in the church. But to me, this title represents a modern-day misunderstanding, misinterpretation, and misapplication of God's word. And if Jesus was preaching a sermon on the mount in our culture, this is what he would say. You have heard it said in these modern times, you should hate religion but love me. But I say to you, Hate your sin and love me. Hate your sin and love me. The guy says in the video that Jesus came to abolish religion. No, he came to abolish sin. Self-righteousness is just one aspect of our sin. It's not the sin itself. And so, what's the point? The point is that we too misunderstand scripture, misinterpret scripture, and misapply scripture. So don't think you're better than the Pharisees. Don't thank you better than they are, for you, we are just as guilty. Are we not? Do you think the Presbyterian Church has it all right, that we, we haven't fallen, that everything we say is right all the time, that we're not guilty of misunderstanding, misinterpretation, misapplication, or is it just the other denominations? Oh, they all got it wrong, not us. What is that? Pride. Arrogance. Even that statement proves my point. The good news is that Jesus is still in the business of correcting us. He doesn't leave us there. Just like he does in this passage. Again, you have heard it said of those of old, you should not swear falsely, but you shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, this is Jesus, but I say to you with all the authority that has been given to him, I say to you, do not take an oath at all. Is just Jesus prohibiting us from taking all kinds of oaths, like if you're in a courtroom and you have to take an oath to tell the truth and the whole truth. Is he saying not to do that? Is that what he's saying? Based upon the context, no. He says you should not take an oath either by heaven or by earth or by Jerusalem or by your own head. Why do you think people swearing on these things you see on the surface it has the appearance of making one's words more trustworthy incredible that, hey you can trust me I swear on this I'm going to do it but beneath the surface something quite different was going on for the people that Jesus was, was addressing their oaths served a different purpose they functioned as loopholes you know what a loophole is do you know what a loophole is is you trying to outsmart the system? Trying to beat the man? Trying to get around the rules? Especially around tax season. That's what I mean by loopholes. And the religious leaders of Jesus' day thought they had found a loophole when it came to taking oaths. They thought they had found a way to be able to take an oath and break it and yet not be in sin. What do you mean by that, Alex? They assumed. If I didn't swear by God's name, if I didn't use his name in the oath, then it was not binding. If I just swore on heaven and broke the oath, I'm still good, I'm still safe. I haven't taken the Lord's name in vain. That is what they were doing. as one Christian says, people were swearing by all these things, heaven, earth, Jerusalem, and one's own head, without using God's name, and on that basis. Releasing them for fulfilling the promise they had given. They were releasing themselves from personal responsibility because the oath was not binding, because they did not use the Lord's name. This loophole was their misunderstanding, misinterpretation and misapplication. In Matthew chapter th- Matthew chapter twenty three, Jesus issued seven. Woes to the Pharisees and the scribes. Listen to what he says here, beginning in verse 16. Woe to you, blind gods, gods, who says, if anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. You blind fools. For which is greater, the gold or the temple that has made the gold sacred? And you say, if anyone swears by the altar, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar, if, if anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar, he is bound by his oath. You blind men, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? So whatever so whoever swears by the altar, swears by it and everything on it. Whoever swears by the temple, swears by it and by him who do, dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven, swears by the throne of God and by him who sits on that throne. So, with these words, Jesus corrects them, shows them that they have not, they are are not safe, that they are still guilty of using the Lord's name in vain. You see, this was their attempt to lower God's standard. If you know anything about the Pharisees and the scribes, they set a whole bunch of rules so they wouldn't break these rules. And this was just another attempt by them. To create a standing which they thought they could fulfill. But what they didn't realize is that they still fell short. They still missed the mark. And that their loophole was not enough. They could not divorce God from their swearing. Even though they were swearing on lesser things. For you are always in God's presence. In word and deed. No matter what you do. There's no other way around it. Don't swear by heaven. For it is the throne of God. Don't swear by earth, for it is his footstool. Don't swear by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Don't take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. And when you take an oath in those things, you are still taking an oath in God's name. And they were gifted. These loopholes by these religious leaders pretty much, to me, highlights their own brokenness it shows, once again, that they were not as righteous as they thought. Jesus says in Matthew 5.20, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you would never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, this is what Jesus told the people before he went on this tangent that he's on now. That unless your righteousness exceeds the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And what Jesus has been doing is showing you what is wrong with the Pharisees' system of righteousness. Why it doesn't work. In a sense, he's reverse engineering that system of righteousness. And his final analysis is, it's is broken. It does not work because you're broken. All those verses when he talks about anger, and he talks about divorce, he talks about lust. He's showing you why their righteousness doesn't work. Because in their attempt to fulfill every law, they failed. They only lowered the standard of it. And it looked like they were fulfilling it. But here in their heart, as Richard said, they were far from it. You see, these loopholes, it was just dishonesty fake integrity. Promising to do something when you know in your heart you had no intentions on doing it. This is at the heart of what Jesus is saying here. As another Christian says, swearing is a pathetic confession of our own dishonesty. Why do you find it necessary to introduce our promises by by this formula, I swear by the Archangel Gabriel or the host of heaven, I swear by the Holy Bible. The only reason is that our simple word is not likely to be trusted. That's why we swear. And as you look back over your life this week, have you struggled with dishonesty? Have you displayed fake integrity? Have you promised to do something that you knew in your heart you were not going to do it, but you promised anyway? What are your man-made loopholes? I mean, let's face it, at some point in your life you have been dishonest. You have lied, and you have displayed fake integrity. Or is it just me? Okay. All of us are undone. These words of Christ should undo us, because all of us are broken. And see, he undoes us for a reason. It's not to beat us up, it's not to make us feel bad, but it's to convict us and lead us to repentance And lead us to greater faith in him. Remember I said the response we should have as we work through this section of the Sermon on the Mount. Is one of faith and repentance. Because here he shows you how how short you fall of it. To push you closer to him. That's the righteousness that that it sees the scribes and Pharisees. It's one that comes from faith in Christ. Repentance. Paul says in Romans 3. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through what? Faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. That's the righteousness that it sees the other and Pharisees. It's one of faith in Christ. Do you believe? That's the question. Do you believe? It's a lot harder to believe at times and it's easier to do the work than to sometimes believe. Do you believe in him? And if you believe in him, and what I mean by believe, I mean having saving faith in him, not an intellectual knowledge of him, but saving faith in him where you rest and depend upon him. And when you come to Jesus, he does not leave you in your brokenness. He does heal us. He doesn't leave us there. And in this passage, you, the healing looks like this. You will begin to, you'll begin to say yes or no. You won't have to make oaths about the things you're going to do. This is what he wants us to do. He calls us to practice truthfulness and honesty in our words, as opposed to dishonesty, fake integrity, and lies. Don't promise to do something when you have no intentions on doing it. Just say, brother, I can't do that. Nope can't do it. I'm not going to promise you something that I know I'm going to break. As Bonhoeffer says, the disciple is called to be a light even in his words. Wow. To be a light even in the words that we use. To be a man and woman of our word because of who we are in Christ. Because of who we are in Christ. And this is another way that we can let our light shine before man. Just being men and women of our words. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. In, I, in Matthew 8, I, I told this um, illustration a couple months ago, well, about six weeks ago. I'm sure you never forgot it, so I'll use it again. What happened when Jesus finished the Sermon on the Mount? Who did he meet when he came down the mountain? Matthew 8, beginning in verse 1. When he came down from the mountain, that's the mountain he was preaching the sermon the mountain upon, great crowds followed him. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, make me clean. You think it's by accident that this passage is there right after he finished that sermon? It's there to show, to show you my point, that if you read a Sermon on the Mount, and if your response isn't this, then you did not get it. If your response is, well, i got to go do more, then you did not get it. The response is, Jesus, will you heal me? Will you make me well? Will you heal me of my leprosy? And you know what he says to the leper? You will be clean. That's the gospel. You take him your leprosy and he heals you of it. You know, one, we said that the, the village church is a church filled with mutually broken people. But, but, what I, but we realize that there's one half of the equation. We are also being mutually healed from our brokenness as well through this Jesus. We may come as leopards, but we leave us clean through the power of the cross, through the power of the gospel. Amen. All right, let's pray. Father God, I thank you that um, through Christ, through his finished work, we are justified before you. And because of that justification, Lord, because of who we are in him, Lord, we can live a kingdom lifestyle in this life. And in this morning, that means being honest people, being men and women of our word, not being fake, not being dishonest, not being liars. But because of who we are, because of what you've done for us, we can be a light even in the words that we use. And so I pray for each of us as we go back to to our lives and to our jobs and to school. That Lord, we'll be men and women of our word. And when we commit to things, we will honor our commitment. If we know we can't commit, aren't, aren't in that commitment, we just simply say no. Simply say no. So, Spirit, again, I pray uh, for your power to um, draw us closer to the heart of Christ, to be a witness for Christ. And so I pray for those here who may not know you, who are struggling, who are beat up and tired and frustrated. I pray that you remind them that they are now alone in their struggles, that, your, that their God is there walking with them and shepherding them through those struggles and again i thank you and i praise you in christ's name